Shall we pray together? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your grace upon our lives. And grace that means we don't have to anxiously work, but can rest in your love and your assurance. And know that your ways are higher than our ways. Pray that today as we think about Sabbath and rest, that you will truly bring rest to our souls. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, feels like confession time when you uh, reach um, the commandment about Sabbathing, i.e. resting. Um, interestingly, though, if you were going to pick one of the commandments to stand up and say in church, I'm not keeping this one very well, uh, probably most people in the congregations would be relatively happy with you saying, Sabbath is something that I struggle with, as opposed to idolatry or murder or adultery or coveting or any such thing. A Sabbath thing sort of feels relatively unimportant. And last week we were looking at blasphemy and why blasphemy doesn't seem such a big deal in our culture and yet is vitally important because it goes to the nature of who God is. And today we're looking at Sabbath thing and interestingly... Um, we're going to realize, I think, together, the Sabbath thing is also something that goes to the heart of who God is. So let's look again at the commandment. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. Uh, and why? For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them, but on the seventh day he rested it. Otherwise, it's almost in the, the nature of God's creativity to create for a while and then rest. Jesus um, said something quite similar when he was talking about being the vine. Do you remember the story of the vine in John 15? I am the true vine, you are the branches. My father is the gardener. And he made the point that actually a good vine with good branches doesn't continuously grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. Rather, the fruitful branches get pruned by the good gardener. And when they've been pruned, they become more fruitful again. And so it is with our lives. They need pruning from time to time or rest or abiding. Now, I think for us in the contemporary world, that's a very difficult concept. I find it incredibly difficult. I would much rather be something that was uh, fruitful, growing, 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 or in my own life to uh, work at what I see as my capacity level. I don't know if you've ever had a, what you might call a good day. You know, you get out of bed and everything just flows extraordinarily. And you're like, this is me. <laughs> this is Richard Moy. This is me. And you've written something, you've said something, you've spoken to someone, you've done something, you might have gone for some exercise, and it's all stacked up together, and you're like, yes, I've made it. If only I could sustain this 365 days a year for the rest of my earthly life, I would be fantastic. And actually, the reality is, if you try and do two or three of those days back to back, what happens? Boom. Often there's a crash, a sense of, my goodness me. And it seems that we're not made to work at complete capacity all the time. When I started university, I was at quite a high-pressure university setting, and the tutor was a Christian, and he sat down a group of us and said, I want you to work hard and play hard, but make sure 
once a week, you take time off. And there, age uh, 18, I carried on what I'd uh, begun in my uh, A-level years of taking a day very fixed and off. So if I hadn't finished my essay, I just forgot about my essay and spent Sunday focusing on God. Get up early on a Monday morning and amazingly finish off the garbage I was writing on Saturday night relatively quickly anyway. (laughs) Would it have been better if I'd spent all Sunday mulling on it? It may have been fractionally better, it may have been fractionally worse, I don't know. But I wouldn't have survived the process of that intense university environment if I hadn't stopped uh, for that period. So what is a Sabbath and uh, do we still need it today? Um, One of the things that we find in our, our culture is there is a love of busyness. So if someone says, are you busy at the moment? The correct answer to that question is, yes, I'm very important and therefore very busy. (laughs) I've got lots on at the moment. The incorrect answer to the question in a social setting among uh, working age people in particular is, is, no, actually, life's a doddle at the moment, especially if you're talking to your boss. You know, it doesn't uh, pan out too well, does it? And you'll all know the apocryphal story of the, uh, the fisherman who's just uh, fishes uh, for a couple of hours a day then lies around on the beach and an executive comes up and says, why are you just lying around? You could be more productive. Uh, and he says, well, why would I want to do that? He says, well, you could, uh, you could sell the extra fish for money. And he says, okay, well, why, why would I want to do that? Well, you could save up um, for your retirement. And he's like, oh, and what would I do then? Well, you could lie on the beach and do nothing. <laughs> And the sense of the sort of futility and stupidity of chasing after the wind, of trying to do so much. Uh, According to J. John's notes here, um, 60% of successful professionals say they're suffering chronic stress or depression. And 48% of corporate executives in in the States report that their lives are empty and meaningless. People chasing after the wind. There's so much else to do on top of just working life, isn't there? If you've uh, retired, um, oftentimes I'll talk to someone who's recently retired and and they'll say, I've no idea how I had time to fit in working life. There's so much else to do as well. It's friends to phone, family members to talk to, services to come to, exercise to do, appointments to keep, shopping lists to write, hospital Visits to go on, books to read, videos to watch, emails to answer, web pages to browse, hobbies to pursue, bills to pay, and no ending end of things. It's what um, psychologist Paul Turnier describes as universal fatigue. We live in a world where people are tired, fatigued, and there's diseases around that as well. Chronic fatigue is, is one that's uh, diagnosed increasingly recently and and often among people who have lived quite intense lives as well up to then it's 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 hard in our society to not be tired out all the time and again uh, is something i'm often uh, encouragingly told is richard you look so tired today which makes me feel fantastic (laughs) whenever i hear that um but the sabbath is a gift to us and, and what is god trying to do in that um you might have noticed in the, as we're reading through the Ten Commandments that this is the longest of the commandments. And the suggestion is that is because 
God wants to make sure we know that it is important, not just to us, but also for those that we have an impact around. So saying you should keep the Sabbath, but you should also make sure your sons and your daughters, your workers, your visitors, your animals keep the Sabbath as well. In other words, this isn't just about you, but what you create around you. (laughs) Fascinating, isn't it? I was talking to one of our um, executives at church um, who works for a a well-known company. He's saying that the uh, company's now uh, put a weekend barrier on emails. You see that it's now impossible to send an email after a certain time on Friday. They're all stacked up and they all appear in people's inboxes on Monday morning. Because they're finding that if people even just realize the email's there, it's increasing their background stress. One of the real complexities of church life is because obviously we, although we work within um, a certain degree of business hours, a lot of the people we're working with aren't available in the daytime. So I'll have emails coming in at five in the morning and uh, two o'clock in the morning from uh, different people, the people who work late and the people who work early within the congregation emailing in. At different times, you have to think, well, how do you begin to filter that so that you can cope with it so you're not on tap all the time? Complex things. I haven't got all the answers yet. But the the rhythm of life that God sets in in steer here is this idea of of one day in seven. Now, that might be a challenge to other people, of course. Uh, uh, It's not just one day in seven you'll rest, but six days in seven you'll work. (laughs) It works two ways, doesn't it? There's a sense of actually be productive six days a week. No good just sitting on your backside doing nothing. That's, that's, not, that's not good for you. And there's a difference, of course, between work and employment. And John Sentamu was very good on this. He said, uh, all of us have work to do, God-given work to do. Some of us get paid for it. And so everyone has work. If they're a human being, we're made to work. And that can happen throughout your life. We, we had the uh, leader of New Wine Movement here last week talking to some leaders. And he says, uh, my, uh, my tent making is being a vicar in the Church of England. That's sort of my, uh, my day job. <laughs> my passion is building churches. It turns out there's some overlap between the two. <laughs> but I get on six days a week building churches, including the bit that I'm paid for as a, as a day job uh, with the Wells. Um, And then one day a week is the priority of Sabbathing or or resting. Um, Now, to understand how this might work out for us, we have to clock the uh, history of God's day of rest. And of course, in the Jewish faith, the the seventh day of the week was uh, Saturday or Friday evening. So Saturday evening. And uh, in Israel, I got a lovely chance to share what they call Shabbat, Uh, with a Jewish family on a Friday evening. They invited 23 strangers into their home for a Shabbat meal, and they did this 30 weeks a year. And it it was really informative to see how these Orthodox Jews were keeping Shabbat and what it meant to them. And uh, let me just give you a couple of the highlights that I observed. Number one, they turned off all uh, electronic and equivalent devices for that time. So they had a complete um, detox, digital detox, every Sabbath. It was to the degree that if you turned off the toilet as a guest in their house, they weren't allowed to turn the light switch on again, so they'd have to uh, do their business in the dark. So it was, it was it's an extreme thing, but there's no telly, no computers, no mobile phones, no anything 
for that 24-hour period. But they didn't describe Sabbath as time off as much as time on. And that was what was so beautiful. So in that 24-hour period, there'd be three major meals, the Friday evening, the Saturday lunchtime, and the Saturday evening when they gather together as family. And each of these meals had a, had a ritual to it. And they last for a couple of hours each. Real stopping at times. Uh, they, they would stop in the first meal, the one we observed, and go through some of the Psalms. But they would also, uh, the man in the household, would recite Proverbs 31 to his wife every week. And if you know Proverbs 31, it's the one that goes, a wife of noble character who can find uh, her. She's more precious than rubies. She's more special. And he would sing this to her every week. I mean, how good is that for a marriage? And this is in front of 23 strangers as well. Publicly affirming the worth of this woman he's married to. It does something to you doing that. Very interesting to see. And then the children joined in and sang to their mother as well. They would serve and help and look after each other. Incredible sense of spaciousness. Time on the family and time on God as well. And it was open to guests, so people would be invited in if they didn't have anywhere else to go. You wouldn't do this on your own. There's a sense of community, just like we have a lunch here many Fridays in the year, a community there. And so they had community, and they had time off different things. And as you know, the Old, the Old Testament um, sense of Sabbath got loaded with all sorts of extra laws, and as we're looking at in Mark's Gospel at the moment, by the time of Jesus, people were so, like, incessant on their rules that some of the fun of Sabbath had been taken away because you were just worried about doing anything <laughs> even slightly wrong. So Jesus deliberately healed people on the Sabbath to show that, uh, man, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. By the time the Christians uh, begin to be joined into the church, uh, at the beginning, most of them are Jewish, and so they would carry on keeping Shabbat, um, but on the first day of the week, before they went to work, i.e. Sunday, before work, they'd gather together and have like what must have been an early morning worship service, maybe at, maybe at dawn. Church would have happened way at the crack of dawn. And then you would have just gone and done your normal work, uh, having had that. And gradually, Sunday became more of the, uh, the day of rest. And uh, different Christians down the years have interpreted Sunday and Sabbath in different ways. Um, so should some of the rules of Sabbath be transferred to Sunday? Um, remember the Eric Liddell story. Um, the Sabbath isn't a day for football, is it? Is what he was told as a kid. And then he's running in the 1922 Olympics uh, and, he, um, and he refuses to run his heat on a Sunday. And, uh, and that's the story there. Um, but others have said, uh, have seen Sunday as very different to a Jewish Sabbath and don't have a problem having a kick around or reading a novel on, on a Sunday. Um, so is, it, um, is the Sabbath uh, rules dead or do the Sabbath principles remain? And uh, J. John, in the book that we're following, suggests that the Sabbath principle of enjoying God's rest remains, um, but the law doesn't remain. So there's something about the principle that remains for a Christian, uh, but not the law of it. Um, so when, when can you keep uh, Sabbath rest? Well, maybe that you work on a Sunday or you, you have to be away on a Sunday. Um, if you're a, a medical profession or others, it, it may not be the easiest time for you to rest. I suppose it might not be the easiest time for a vicar to rest either. It's worth reflecting on. Um, 
so wh wh when can we keep it? We can keep it, I suppose, any dedicated time that, that we choose to. To have a 24-hour period in a week, we say, this is my detox. This is when I'm focusing on God. Yeah. Now, is that easier when everyone around you is doing the same thing? Absolutely. In Jerusalem, a month ago, when everything was shutting down at 6 o'clock on, on a Friday night, it was incredibly easy to feel you're on Sabbath because everyone was doing it. Is it harder if you're surrounded by noise, activity, and demands? Much harder. So we must have to therefore work harder to create the space that we may need. And I'm always thrilled when I um, find people creating that space um, and, and they're sort of, well, wonderful that you're doing that. Um, so so, so um, then uh, J. John says there are blessings of work and rest. And uh, this is one of the first things is, is you should remember the balance in this command. Six days you should work and one day rest. Um, it probably means that you should spend six times as much energy praising God for the opportunity to do good things and productive things as you should worrying about whether you're getting your rest in. Work is good, and we all have jobs to do in God's kingdom. Right to our dying day, it might be prayer, it might be encouraging someone, it might be uh, writing a letter, and it might be campaigning on some issue. We've all got God-given roles, and we should praise God for productivity. And, it, and be thankful for that, uh, whether it's employed productivity or kingdom productivity in different ways. Um, but we should also, um, in the midst of work, try and inhabit God's rest. So when, we, when you rest well one day in a week, you then want to carry on that into the next phase of your, of your life. So that if you heard the phrase, we uh, work from rest rather than rest from work, the idea that my rest day is so good that I carry that peace in life. Now, I'll give you a, an example of this going wrong. A couple of weeks ago, it's Friday evening, and uh, my uh, phone addiction kicks in, and I know that on Friday evening, I'm off the emails, and I'm ignoring everything right through to Saturday evening, but there's something in me that just wants to flick my phone on. It's almost like an instinctive reaction. It's ingrained as a habit into me. I flick an email. I see that there's uh, an email from someone I'm a bit worried about. I flick that on. There's nothing wrong with that email whatsoever. But I see a second email from someone who's a friend of mine. Click on that, and I'm like, oh, no, because in it was news that I then had to deal with. Did I have to deal with that on Friday evening? Not at all. Uh, it would have been fine on Monday morning. But the fact that I knew about that then undermined the whole of my next day because it was in the background of my head, sort of worrying and unsettling me. Is it the fault of the news that I was unsettled and my Sabbath day was, was ruined? It's the fault of me. And I, I just spent the next day just in a state of, of more anxiety and lower um, output, lower attentiveness to those around me than I wanted to be. And that's entirely because I'd broken Sabbath by, by an addiction to phone. And uh, something that I'll be looking at as we're coming into Lent, thinking, how can you detox in Lent? Uh, Sabbath, in a way, it, Lent gives us one of the great opportunities to go, what is controlling me at the moment? Here comes 40 days. See if you can break a habit. So, one of the things I'm thinking about now is how do I digitally detox during Lent? 
how do I create space for myself? And I was chatting to a friend this morning. He said that a year ago he detoxed in Lent uh, from digital stuff. Got all his screens off apart from when he was at work. And I said it was amazing. He felt wonderful. And he's been trying to get back to it ever since. (laughs) It's interesting, isn't it? And often what will happen in our lives is we make a step forward with God. And we know that, you know, these, these habits will slide and slip. Does that mean we shouldn't make a step forward with God? Not at all. Make a step forward, something slides, try again. If at first you don't succeed, try, try, and try again. Uh, so some of these things, are, they're not like, they're to just impose on you like you failed, you failed, you failed, just give up. So it's like, come on then, have another go. Have another crack, see, see what, go, what goes on there. Um, one thing that helped me uh, reading about this was William Wilberforce. And uh, he was being tapped for high position in the cabinet. He made a great impression in Parliament. And the atmosphere in Westminster was heady, and he was flattered that his hard work was on a point of being rewarded. However, after resting during the following Sunday, his view of a possible promotion changed, and he was able to write in his diary that these earthly things assume their true size. His day of rest had given him a sense of perspective. Isn't that interesting? And later in his life, he was to write sadly of his contemporaries who had broken under the pressure of politics With peaceful Sundays, the strings would never have snapped as they did from overtension. With peaceful Sundays, the strings would never have snapped as they did from overtension. I wonder if actually the ease with which we break Sabbath is more of a problem than we realize it is. I wonder how many actual adulteries have occurred because someone has got used to breaking the fourth commandment keeping the Sabbath. And when they get more stressed and more strung out and just work, 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 work constantly, the escapist tendency kicks in and suddenly a marriage is broken. I wonder how much begins with thinking that you're so important you can't be out of access for a while. In a way, Sabbath is saying, I'm not that important. If I'm out of this for 24 hours... The world will still carry on. The world doesn't spin around me. Tolstoy tells a story. How much land does a man need? And a man travels to the Russian hinterland, and villages there offer to give him as much land as he can cover in a day. Anxious to cover as much ground as he can, the man makes a frantic journey, and as the sun sets, he collapses with exhaustion and dies. Ultimately, the amount of land that he gets is six-foot plot which is his final resting place. (laughs) How many of us scrabble around after as much as possible and end up with uh, nothing but a plot of land to die in? Workaholism in London is an incredibly big deal. I deal with it pastorally all the time. People have been spinning so many plates that it all comes crashing down. It's linked to heart disease, hypertension, depression, and more. The Japanese have a word for death from overwork, and it apparently accounts for 10% of Japanese deaths. Workaholism is an addiction like other addictions, and it consumes an addict's time. Forcing ourselves to stop is a big deal and an important deal, and uh, one we need to do. Do you remember how the Israelites in the desert were collecting manna, and uh, God gave them the day before the Sabbath a twofold amount to collect? 
so they could have time off. I mean, they weren't even really doing very much. All they had to do was exist in the desert. But even existing in the desert, God said, you still need to have 24 hours off. Our lives may feel like we're just existing, not doing very much. Or they may feel very full. And even if you feel you're not doing very much, God still says, why not have a deliberate 24 hours that is different in some way? Are you really stopping on something? You say, I don't do anything any of the time. Well, that's not true. What could you do that would really carve out 24 hours of, of peace, of being on to God in a deliberate way? I wonder what that would look like for you. So how do we make the most of uh, God's day? How do we make it special? We need to guard our rest, even when we're busy. We need to be refreshed in our rest, making the most of the day of rest. Uh, sometimes it's about deliberately uh, doing things that are not stressful, finding out what makes you relax and enjoying that. My, my friend this morning was saying when he was doing Lent without digital stuff on, he would sit in a chair and read a book for half an hour every day. And he said it was incredibly relaxing to be off the screen and just uh, in a book. I wonder how much of a difference that might make uh, to us listening to this message today. Now, having freedom in your rest uh, is another thing, though. Um, it, it's incredibly easy to make it into a tight rule, and uh, there's a sense that freedom is important. Apparently, the uh, ancient Jews had created 1,521 rules about the Sabbath, <laughs> and uh, that's obviously not the, the right way ahead. So you don't want to be enslaved by attitudes. You want enough discipline that has given you freedom. Uh, it might be an important day to enjoy other people when you're taking rest. Um, maybe it's a day where you say, not great at hospitality, but one day in a week, I'm going to open up my home uh, for tea and coffee, and I'm deliberately going to invite someone every week on the same day of the week, and I'm going to enjoy their company. I'm going to have 10 questions I've prepared to ask them, and I'm going to find out more about them by the end of those 10 questions. And then next week I'll invite someone else, and someone else, and someone else. And deliberately being on hospitality uh, to enjoy other people can be really important. So many people appreciate uh, that sort of uh, entertainment. It's well worth trying to uh, investigate that, maybe as a, as a couple of people working together um, to create space there. And enjoy God in your rest. Um, keep it holy. Um, it belongs to God as a day designed for his pleasure. A day where you're deliberately giving pleasure to God. It's not, um, it's not sort of a day for you to do intense recreation and get all your sports in in, in as frenetic a way as, as when you're working. It's not a, a work hard, play hard day where you just pack in as many incredible, uh, hectic activities uh, as you would, um, worshipping yourself and your own ability to recreate yourself. It's a day where you go to God, I need you to recreate me. I'm going to be off and create space for you. And it does seem to be that it takes at least 24 hours for that. And, uh, and uh, there's a lovely story, of course, of Gary Grant, the uh, manager of the entertainer chain of toy shops, who um, decided in 1994 not to open on a Sunday. And has been uh, incredibly productive for God's kingdom since making that decision uh, not to do so despite extreme pressure. So the challenge then uh, from this is uh, 
What would it be like to have a, a day of rest for you? I've seen it in uh, Israel as a, as a beautiful thing, a really beautiful thing. Um, and I look in at my life here and I find uh, that boundaries are hard to come by. And I sort of think, I wonder how I could get better at this again. And uh, then I see just over the horizon, Lent coming up. And I wonder if we took this seriously for Lent, even, said, right, one day a week, I'm going to detox in a major way. Whether you could start to install a pattern of deliberately attending to rest. Remember, six days you work. Get on with doing productive things however young or old you may be. One day a week is a holy day, not for you to indulge in yourself, but for God, where he wants to recreate you and hang out with you and see you uh, do good things with others around you. It's not your washing day. (laughs) It's your holy day, special day, beautiful day. And I wonder how much of the rest of life would come in kilter if we learn well from this. May God bless his word to us today. Amen.